So my, my message today in the, in the What If series is, what if the church has messed up? It's a light, a light message, a light message today. Um, and and as, as I've been preparing this past week, um, both the weight and the joy that the hope of this message has touched me very deeply. And uh, there, there is a weight, there is a, there is a burden on my heart that I really long, and, and it's not, a, it's not a, 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 a painful burden that brings death, but, a, but I believe a, a life-giving burden that I, want to, that I want to share with you this morning. I believe that as we talk about the church having messed up, that this isn't a message that, that you need to be preached at by uh, you know, a paid staff member of an institution, and, and not to say that anyone up here teaching has that heart, but I want, it, but I want it to be, I want, it, I want it to be a, a visible and tangible that that we are talking about this as a body, as a family, and uh, and I, I just think that's important. And where I want to start this morning is where I believe that Jesus starts, uh, as He, Emmanuel, God with us, uh, brings the gospel, and that is. Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What if the church is messed up? The first thing I, wanna, I just want to stop and pause on is repent. Uh, it's, it's, it's a call to, to humble our hearts, uh, to, to say, Jesus, I'm going to let you be the definer of what is good and right and worthy of my life looking like. But there's also hope in that call of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is near. Jesus is saying his kingdom is being ushered in. There's hope because his kingdom is coming. And what has been wrong is being made right. There's hope in that call. So I want to start by uh, defining the church. What if the church is messed up? And there's a lot of different ways we could define the church. But, but I want to I look at it in two ways. And the first is uh, the, the church, and I want to use a little T for the. The church meaning anybody who calls himself a follower of Christ. Anybody who says, I'm a Christian. Uh, and and that, that is a, that's a very wide swath of people, right? It includes, it includes uh, most of us here. Uh, it, it includes denominations, non-denominations, Catholics, Protestants, Anglicans, Orthodox. It includes a lot of people, right? Uh, the, the other day I, in, a, in a Starbucks, I got to visit with a, a fellow who um, uh, believes that some scholars have found uh, some manuscripts that show that the, the, the high priestly oils, one of the, one of the main ingredients was marijuana. And that, and that the anointing, both Old Testament and New Testament, that that's one of the key aspects of... He, he, he's a follower. He, he, said, he calls himself uh, a Christian. Uh, there, uh, I, I know a lot of you have probably uh, heard or seen uh, little video clips of people from Westboro Baptist Church, and they, they show up uh, at different kinds of rallies and are at a lot of gay pride rallies screaming, Jesus hates you. Uh, and they, they, would, they would claim the name of Christ. So there, there's, it's a wide swath. It includes a lot of things. Uh, it includes... Countries where, where there may be just a, a small handful of believers uh, in a particular country or ethnicity, like North Korea or Bhutan or Saudi Arabia, it includes uh, uh, country, countries and ethnicities where huge majorities of populations, uh, like the U.S. or like Uganda, where, where we just moved back from, 
would say that we are, we are a people statistically who identify ourselves predominantly as Christians. So we're talking about, okay. We're talking about a wide swath of, of people there. And then I want to talk about the church with a big T. And that is, and the way I want to define that now is everyone who is on a journey of transformation based on faith in Christ. And one of the, one of the pitfalls of the church, I believe, is the way we have gone about trying to distinguish between the two, the church and the church. And I don't even want to go there today. Uh, the, Jesus tells a parable about the tares and the wheat and, and just leaving them there. Don't, don't go ripping them out. He's the distinguisher of that, and, and I don't even want to go there this morning, and I don't think that's, that's our, that should be our, our debate as we're talking about, I don't believe this should be a debate today. What if the church is messed up? It's not a debate. But as followers of Christ, I believe it is imperative that we respond to the shortcomings of both of these groups, Right? The, 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 the greater group who, there may be people who aren't followers of Christ and are doing things completely contrary to, to who the Lord is and what he has called us, called us to be as his followers. And then the shortcomings as broken people who are on a journey of sanctification. I believe we as the church must humbly respond to our shortcomings. I want to talk a little bit about how God defines the church. And I want to start in Ephesians 5. Uh, and this is actually talking about husbands and wives. Uh, starting in verse 25, husbands, love your wife, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So one thing we know about the church is that the Lord is on a journey of purifying his bride, of washing, of cleansing, of making her sacred and holy, and he loves his bride. And I want to communicate today that that, that I love the church. I love the church. I love the church in terms of our local body here. I love the church in terms of the community in Waltham and Boston. I love the church. And, the, and Jesus loves his bride. So I want to I I I speak of his church in an honoring way. And, and, and because he loves his bride and has laid down his life for her. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, this is Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip a few verses down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the church is, 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 is 
a group of people that God is is building together as a spiritual house, a, a temple uh, for His glory to proclaim His excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. But what if the church has messed up? What if the church is messing up? What if the church is messed up? Those are all those are all heavy questions, right? And uh, so I want to talk, and I, I, we could we could we could camp here for a long, long time, and I don't want to do this for very long. But I want I want to I want to talk about failures of the church in a, in, a, in a, both a historical and, and a more current day setting. Um, what's what's the historically what's what's one of the first thing that comes to mind with you in, in, in terms of the failure of the church historically? Any any anybody want to throw anything out? Crusades. Okay, I, I thought I thought that would be thrown out there, and it's actually something that uh, that in the news, uh, Obama recently uh, mentioned uh, the Crusades in conjunction with ISIS, and there was a huge uproar uh, about that comparison. But let's stop the Crusades in the name of Christ, pillaging, mass killings, uh, ethnic-based violence. It happened. Inquisition, slavery, mm-hmm. church being both complicit uh, in, in, in allowing it to happen, but actually the doctrine of the church supporting it at times. What else? Having, having, having lived in Uganda, what's that? Okay, dark ages, right, right. That kind of going back to that that similar area of uh, of crusades and inquisition, uh, coming having come back from Uganda, uh, colonialism, uh, and, and again that that was not that the the church was not necessarily driving that, but the church was a part of that, and even the way that missions has happened in the history of church, where where conversion, which is a very controversial word in a lot of countries because of colonialism. Was, was equivalent to forcing Western worldview and Western culture in the name of Christ. Uh, it's caused a lot of pain. What's that? Abuse. Okay, getting into more, 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 a little bit more recent. Absolutely. Uh, sexual, sexual abuse in, in the church. Uh, and I, I would I would throw in into into that uh, just manipulation in terms of tr- people televangelists priests preachers getting rich using manipulation to to get people to give to them and and getting wealthy off of off of religion. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out was uh, the the genocide in Rwanda. You have any idea what the statistics on uh, Christianity and religion in Rwanda were and are? Huge, hugely Christian in terms of the way that they would identify themselves, and yet, in the context of uh, people who would call themselves Christians, you see ethnic cleansing and mass mass violence. Um, just one 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 more one more piece before we move on is. Uh, Kind of the, the what something I, I I would call the overall corruption of the church in terms of and there's there's a lot of statistics statistics out there about how divorce is the same inside the statistics of divorce are the same inside the church as outside the church use of pornography uh, um, 
what is what is it, greed, uh, gossip, just any any number of those things. And it basically boil, boils down to the world is is looking at the church in the way that the way that the, that the people are outside looking in, and they're saying you all are a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, man, your our arrogance. Uh, being hateful in, in, in the way that we interact with people and we communicate our, our beliefs and our convictions, our political ideologies, uh, marginalizing the poor, marginalizing uh, homosexuals, marginalizing uh, those who don't fit our description of what, what is a, a good Christian. So, so what if the church has messed up in those ways? And we have. So what does that mean? What does that mean? It means we're broken. Mm-hmm. It means there's a lot of people that we have hurt, right? There's a lot of hurting people. Uh and where where I where I want to go, and and the and the the core of what I want to I want to share is is this piece right here, uh, and, and I'm I'm going to spend a little bit more time uh, teaching, but it's in uh, it's if the church is messed up, and I believe it's because we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus, and. W- the reason there's hope in that is because he's there. His grace and his mercy is there. And he says, look to me. Look to me. Colossians 1, uh, starting in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ, to reconcile, to reconcile to himself all things. Verse 21, And you who were once alienated alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Indeed, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So I believe there's a a two-part response to this, and the first is turn to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, uh, in, in his ministry, as he was going about his ministry, who are the people that he was hanging out with? Who are the people that were flocking to him? It was the broken. It was the people that, 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 the, that the religious elite said, why are you hanging out with those people? Why are you hanging out with those sinners? And Jesus said, 
I didn't come for healthy people. Healthy people don't need a doctor. I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. And was he talking about physical sickness? No. He was, he was inviting them to recognize their brokenness, their sickness, and turn to him so they might be rescued. And he's saying these people recognize their brokenness and they're coming to me and they're finding life. He came for the, he came for the addict, right? He came for the pornographer. He came for the religious fake. He came for the greedy. He came for the racist. That's why he came for me. He came for us. He came for me. The second, the second part of, of the response that I want to invite us to is to address the issue of hypocrisy. And I want to do, to do this gently uh, because I believe that the Lord is, is dealing with us uh, in, in gentleness and in mercy. But Jesus, as he, as, he, as he came to tangibly show the heart of the Father, to demonstrate the coming of the kingdom as people are healed, as people are set free from demonic strongholds, as, people, as people's lives are being transformed, He did, he did have some pretty fiery rebukes for the Pharisees, right? Of all the people that he got stern with and, and, and downright angry with, it was the, it was the Pharisees, the, the, the religious elite, the, the hypocrites. And I want to read some of his words, some of his fiery words. Uh, in Matthew 15, uh, starting in verse 7, he said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I want to do a little bit of an illustration here. My notes are falling here. Thanks, honey. Can Can I offer this to you, Tabby? Can I offer this to you, Mary? Every one of us has worldviews. I mentioned this last week. I'm bringing it back up. Every one of us have, has, have, has a worldview, a lens through which we interpret life. What, what shapes our lenses? What, 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 are, what are things in our life that shape our lenses? Our family, okay, our, our upbringing, our experiences, absolutely. What else? Education, yep. Country, yep, the culture and country in which we were born and grew up, absolutely. What else? Peers, yes. Who we hang out with, absolutely. Fears, what we're afraid of, absolutely. What else? Media, whoa, whoa. That's a, that's, that's a bigger and bigger and bigger element, what, 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 how the media defines reality. What else? Anything else? Okay, so I, I, have, I have this lens through which I view life. Now, my friend Tabby and my friend Mary, they, they have the lens through which, through which they view life. Everything looks, out here looks pretty red. What, what color, what color, what color is, is everything out there? No. Nope. Nope. What, what, by the way, I, I'm, I'm red. What, what, color, what color do you think I am? 
a, red, a reddish blue, purple maybe. <laughs> the, the, what, color, what, color, what color are you seeing things through? You can't really see a color. Yours is a muddy, a muddy color. Yeah, yours, yours is definitely messed up. <laughs> so, so, so my 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 view of reality is right. Yes, and does it does a fish know it's wet? So, could it be could it be that we have some blind spots in our in our worldview, in our perceptions and interpretations of reality, even as it relates to Christ, even as it relates to God and who He is calling us? to be as his people. So we have a choice. We can either have a man-centered worldview where I have the right to decide what is true and what reality is. I have the right. And I have the right to tell you you're wrong. Or God is the definer of, of all that is true and all that is good and all that is right, and he is calling us to get rid of them. And you know what? Even that can't happen without His grace, uh, without His mercy, because it requires us to humble ourselves, to admit that we're wrong, to admit that we may not even know what is right and wrong, and submit to Him. And Jesus has just, He has just rebuked the Pharisees for teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. And so my question to you is, are you willing to be confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ, His Spirit and His Word, in order that He dismantle your worldview, our worldview, as however it's been defined in a man-centered way, so that it is a God-centered worldview. I believe that, that, that... in order for us to walk out our calling as the church, this is something that must, it's a journey, but it's a journey that we must be willing to go on together as his people. Another time that Jesus is talking to uh, the Pharisees, uh, John 8, starting in verse 31, uh, he said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, sorry, this is talking to, to believers and there's other Jews in the background. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And if you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? Okay, so, so there's some people in this audience that are like, what are you talking about? I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a son of Abraham. I was born free. And, and uh, skip a few verses down. Jesus, Jesus starts addressing their religious superiority. And uh, he said, again, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. And I want to stop and say that that our actions flow out of our identity, okay? Our actions flow out of identity. And Jesus is saying, if you, were, if you were a son of faith, then you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works 
your father did. He's getting personal here. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And he said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. At this point, they get pretty ticked off, right? It's either this passage or the next, uh, one that, a similar one that where they just throw a racial epithet at them and try to kill them. But what I, what I want to bring out about this passage is that religious superiority comes from illegitimate children. He says, you're not my children. You're, you're of the enemy. You don't believe me. Your heart, your heart is not towards me. You're not submitted. You're not, you're not following me. You're, you're following your father, the devil. You're not legitimate children of God. And, uh, and that, that, is, that is a strong word. Verse uh, Matthew 23, and this is the last uh, of these scriptures that I want to read. But woe to you. Oh, wait, time out. I want to back up. Back up. Why, why, was, why was Jesus so upset with the Pharisees? One is because, obviously, he said, you've rejected me. And I believe, uh, I believe because of, of the wrestlings in my own heart that, that, these, that these followers of the law, who have been called to be mediators of God, God's covenant to the nations, that, that they, in, in, in Christ's invitation, in God's invitation for them to follow him by faith, not just by law, but by faith, that they, have, that they have come to the brink of that invitation and have dealt with the same struggle, the same lie that Adam and Eve dealt with. And that is, is what God really says true? Does he, is he really good and does he really have what's good in mind for me? Because if I step into the light, everything I am is going to be exposed. I'm going to have to let go of it. Uh, and and God's invitation to us is that we be transformed. But the, the Pharisees did not want to be transformed. Their hearts were hard, and they did not want to humble themselves. They were unwilling to humble themselves. But here's why I think Jesus was, is so upset with them. Because in, in that choice to harden their hearts, and, and because of time, I'm not going to read the Scripture, but he says, it's not just that you have rejected me, but it's like you've taken the key and thrown it away, and you are trying to keep others from coming to me because you can hold your spiritual manipulation, the weight of shame and sin over them and control them and manipulate them. That's, that's the fruit of hypocrisy in the church. And I don't believe today that I'm, I'm talking to a, a, a group of hypocrites. I don't believe it at all. But I do believe that in the context of Western Christianity, and we're not here from, we're not all here from the West, uh, and, and so I went, but, and so, but I think it, I think it affects, at least when I was in Uganda, in my experience in Uganda, it affects 
uh, uh, other nations as well. But, but are we so wrapped up in trying to be a successful Christian and, 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 and appear a, a, a successful Christian? But I, by we, I mean us too, us who are standing here in the pulpit, us who are leading you, uh, us in our homes, us in our marriages. Do we have the freedom to be real? Do we have the freedom to be broken in, a, in the church, in, at the river? Because I believe that's where, the, that's where the gospel is found, is that, yes, we are a broken people, and the Lord has called us, and there is a submission and, and a repentance that he calls us to, a humbling of ourselves that he calls us to, that is a, that is a part of, of, of transformation, but one of the things that that involves is stepping into the light. And, and with all my heart, I long for who I am and who my family is and who this church is to be a place where we can live in the light, where there's freedom to walk in the light and be, to be loved. And does, does stepping into the light bring change and transformation? Does it, does it bring conviction of sin? Yes. But does it bring condemnation? It doesn't. Does it bring rejection? It does not. And the Lord is doing this through his body. Even in the midst of our brokenness and the bride's brokenness, the Lord is revealing himself. The beauty of who he is is being revealed through his bride. But his bride must walk in humility, must walk in repentance, and must approach even even times where we want to defend ourselves. Defense can't be our first reaction. It can't be our first reaction. We're gonna we're gonna we're getting ready to transition into a time of, of communion here. And and I wanna say that as the as the Lord calls us to walk in the light, to walk as humble people, to walk in a lifestyle of repentance, that he also is calling us. It's not just a reconciled relationship with him, but it's a reconciled relationship with each other. Uh, I, I, I grew up in Oklahoma, have lived uh, different places, but one of the places I lived for a period of years was uh, in the deep south in southern Mississippi. Lo- loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, but uh, as you might know culturally, that uh, the issue of racism is uh, is is. It's more front and center uh, than than in some places in in the world in Mississippi. It was a part of a, a really neat organization called Mission Mississippi, where once a month we got together, uh, met met in in various churches throughout the city to pray for for racial re- reconciliation. We had had breakfast together, hung out together, prayed prayed on those particular mornings together, and then once a year there was a big rally uh, uh, on the the lawn of the Capitol. Out front of the Capitol, where all the churches uh, of the, the state would come together, and uh, so I, d- I didn't know tons of people at that point. I'd been there for maybe six, six, nine, nine months. So I show up at the rally. Uh, there's, a, there's fun stuff going on, performances and, and whatnot. So I watch the performances, go check out the food, see which church has the best food, and then I go to hang out with uh, with, with with the buddy that I that I knew the best. Is the guy that I prayed with, uh, you know, once a month. And was sitting down eating my food with him, and a photographer came up, and uh, and said, "Can I take a picture of you guys?" 
And we said, sure. She said, I've been here, I've been here for hours, and I can't get a, find a picture of a white person and a black person sitting next to each other or standing next to each other. So all the churches were there doing their picnic thing. They were doing it separate. And it, and, it, and, it, and it hit me like a ton of bricks that reconciliation is not about uh, a program. It's not about, it's not about an event. Uh, uh, it's about hanging out with each other in each other's homes. It's about sharing our lives with each other. It's about working through our cultural perspectives uh, and woundings with each other and forgiving and then it's about the next time I get offended with you because I'm hanging out with you more, that I forgive you again and again and again. That's what reconciliation is. He, we are a beautiful church here, but he's calling us into something deeper. And that is to, to, ref, to reflect at, at a heart level in the way that we love each other on a daily basis, a transformation that is brought about by forgiveness, that is brought about by a lifestyle of repentance and humility. Ben, could you, you could you come? In America, we we talk a lot about rights, uh, the. The right to bear arms, the, the right to pray, uh, the right to be heard, the right to be understood, the right to vote, uh, the right to be paid what I'm worth, the right to be treated equally, to say what I want, to be safe, to be healthy. There's a lot of rights. And, and, and justice is on God's heart, so I don't want to diminish that. But what, I, but what I feel like the Lord is calling us to is His people is that These things, these things flow not out of right, but out of a calling. That we are called to lay down our lives for the gospel. We are called to lay down our lives to reflect his mercy, his compassion, his justice. And as we turn the other cheek, as we love our enemies, as we go the extra mile, that blessed is the poor in heart. Blessed is the one who mourns. Blessed is the merciful. Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts. So Jesus, today I ask you that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for you, Lord. Lord, that we would be a people marked by your mercy, by your compassion, by humility, not a right to be right, but by humility, Lord. For those who are doing their communion.